A um, lot, lot can change in eight years. Uh, my children are bigger. Your children are bigger. I have more children. And now Jim Pantelli and I are using the same barber. <laughs> but uh, it, is, it is a great joy, it's a privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, when Pastor Ken and Kim came and, and looked us up and saw us back in April, it was a real privilege to be able to see them again and renew our friendship with them. And uh, we enjoyed the fellowship time that we had. And uh, when he asked me to come, I was very excited, very excited for the opportunity to renew friendships and fellowships, but also excited to see what God has done in this place over the last 10 years. And today is a celebration. It's a celebration of what God has done. It's a celebration of His grace and His mercy individually in your lives and also collectively as the church. And it's a time of praise and it's an honor uh, to be here with you this morning. And thank you, Pastor Ken, for inviting me. And uh, just I want to thank the church, thank Pastor Ken, thank Rich uh, and Tracy, and thank Kim for the hospitality that we have been shown uh, overdone. You've overdone it, and we appreciate it very much. This morning, I want us to think about the fact that um, there is a place for remembrance in our lives of faith as Christians, uh, a place to remember, to, to recall things that have happened in the past, and that when we do that, when we recall what God has done for us in the past, it should draw us to worship Him and to praise Him. Uh, as, we, as we think about the Scriptures and think about the Old Testament in particular, there are several places in the Old Testament where Israel as a nation is called to remember the things that God has done for them in the past. Uh, I think of the Passover, when God instituted the Passover with Moses in the book of Exodus, he commanded Moses that this should be an annual remembrance, an annual observance that every year they would partake of the Passover meal. It would, would remind them of God's redemption when he, with a mighty hand, brought them out from the land of Egypt, rescued them from the power of Pharaoh, and brought them across the Red Sea on dry ground. And so every year they were to recall that event and to have it in their minds as a, as a memory, as a remembrance, to lead them to praise. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to, to think uh, and meditate on Psalm number 136. Because I think Psalm number 136 does this for us. It calls us to remembrance. And as we think and reflect on Psalm 136 this morning... I think we will see in this psalm that remembering God's miraculous and providential acts, remembering God's miraculous and providential acts draws us to worship our great and gracious creator. And so this morning what I want to do is maybe something a little bit different from what you would normally do in a worship service, but I want us to uh, read as a responsive reading Psalm number 136 together. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the first part of each verse. And I would, I would love for you to respond in unison 
uh, with the refrain that is repeated throughout this psalm, his love endures forever. And as you repeat that refrain, think about not only the mighty acts of God that are described in this psalm, but also think about the acts of God in your life to which you can say his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders. His love endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens. His love endures forever. Who spread out the earth upon the waters. His love endures forever. Who made the great lights. His love endures forever. The sun to govern the day. His love endures forever. The moon and stars to govern the night. Love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. His love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them. His love endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm. His love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder. His love endures forever. And brought Israel through the midst of it. His love endures forever. But swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. His love endures forever. To him who led his people through the desert. His love endures forever. Who struck down great kings. His love endures forever. And killed mighty kings. His love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, his love endures forever. And Og, king of Bashan, his love endures forever. And gave their land as an inheritance, his love endures forever. An inheritance to his servant Israel, his love endures forever. To the one who remembered us in our lowest state, his love endures forever. And freed us from our enemies, his love endures forever. And who gives food to every creature, his love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, his love endures forever. Will you bow in prayer with me? Our Father, this morning we ask that you would draw us to worship you today. I pray that through this psalm, through this hymn of praise, this hymn of remembrance, that you would activate our minds, help us to recall the great things that you have done for us, not only in the distant past, in your uh, works of great miracles and power in the life of Israel, but also in our individual lives in the more recent past. Lord, may we reflect on these things and may it drive us to praise you and to worship you and to give you the honor and the praise that you deserve. And we pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, as we look at this psalm together, I want us to see, first of all, that we are drawn to worship our great creator by remembering his mighty acts in salvation history. 
really the majority of this psalm is a recounting of incredible deeds that God had done for Israel in the past. And it is intended for Israel as a collective body, as the people of God, to think about these acts in the past, to think about God's power, to think about his wonderful works, and to, as they think about them, to worship God and to praise him, to praise his love. And the first thing that we see in the psalm is, is really, in the first few verses, just a call to reflect on God's greatness. In the first four verses, it says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Really just a general statement of God's character, that he is good in everything that happens in life, everything that comes our way, whether good or bad, that he is good. This morning, we're going to reflect on the providence of God in our lives, the acts of God in the distant past, in salvation history, but also in our individual lives. And as we reflect on those providential acts, I want us to think about not only the good things that God has done for us in the past, those, those precious memories, those sweet providences, but I also want us to think about the hard ones as well. And think about the difficulties that happen in life and how God uses both of those in our lives, to accomplish his purposes, to draw us into conformity to to the image of Christ, and to lead us to praise him. And so in good times and in bad, or at least the things that appear bad to us at that moment, God is good. He is good all of the time. That is his character. He is a gracious and good God. And then the psalmist invites us to think about the greatness of God. And there's really no other way that he can add superlatives to, the, to what he says here in verse 2 and 3. He cannot say this any stronger that God is the God of gods and that he is the Lord of lords. This is the Hebrew way of saying he's the best. He's the greatest. There's no, no greater way that he could talk about the godness of God or the lordship of God than to say that he is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. And just as an aside here, the psalmist is not affirming the existence or the reality of God's small g. There is one living and true God. But to those who would embrace these false gods, to those who in uh, delusion and in deception would embrace these idols, these false gods, the psalmist says to them, God is the God of gods. And he is the Lord of lords. And there is none greater. And so he reflects on the greatness of God. And he invites us to do the same. And so as we sit here this morning and think about God's grace in our lives, let us first think about how great and glorious our God is. And that he is sovereign. And that he rules over his creation, over this universe. And there is none that is greater than he. And then in verse 4, he says, To him who alone does great wonders. And with that verse, he introduces us to the individual specific mighty acts that God had done for Israel in the past. And he recounts them for us. He gets specific. He gets detailed. And and I would encourage us this morning, as we think about the last 10 years of what God has done at Community Baptist Church, that as we recall God's God's acts for us in the past, that we would get specific. That we would think about moments in our lives. That we would think about people that God brought into our path. Think about divine appointments that he arranged for us. 
Think about the ways, the people that God used perhaps to bring you to Christ, to bring you to the gospel, to bring you to this fellowship of believers. Think about specific things that God has done. Because that's what the psalmist does here. He, he says, God who does great wonders in generality, but then he gets specific and he recalls these acts of God's power. And so he meditates on God's redemptive acts and on his acts of creation. And so in verses 5 through 9 of Psalm 136, he invites us to stop and think about God's mighty acts, his miraculous acts, as we see them in creation. And so he wants us to think back to Genesis 1. And he wants us to think about day number 3, when all you could see on this round globe was water. And he wants us to think about the fact that with the voice of God, with his power, he spoke and the waters separated. And they went to their divinely appointed locations. And the land appeared. And he caused trees to grow up out of the ground and plants to grow up out of the ground to provide food for the creatures that he would make. And so here in Verse number five, he says, who by his uh, understanding made the heavens. And, and with that, verse five, I think it's a general call to reflect on creation, on his creative work. And then in verse six, he gets specific, I think, to day three, when he says that he spread out the earth upon the waters, when he divided the waters into, its, into their places and revealed dry ground. And then he moves on to day four of creation, specifically in verse seven. And he says, who made the great lights? And in verses eight and nine, the sun to govern the day and the moon and stars to govern the night. He wants us to look up in the sky. And he wants us to say with the psalmist of Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. He wants us to reflect on what the psalmist declares in Psalm 8. When I consider the heavens, the works of your hands, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you would consider him? It is striking to me that when the scriptures, when a psalmist wants us to think about the greatness of God, they tell us to look up. Time and time again in the Psalms, they say, look up, behold the heavens, look at the stars, the sun, the moon that God has made. Why? Why, does, why, do the, why do the scriptures do that? Why does the psalmist do that for us? I think because the heavens, the stars, this vast universe that we are a part of, more than perhaps anything else in God's creation, reminds us of our finiteness, of our finitude, and that, and that God is infinite, that there is no one and nothing that can compare to him. And it leads us to praise him. And so as we think about the beginnings of this universe, we're drawn to praise. We're drawn to worship our God. And to sing, as we have already done this morning, to sing with all of our might, to sing with every ounce of breath that God gives into our lungs, and to praise him because he is worthy. He is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. But then in verse 10, he transitions to remind us of specific acts of God in human history, in dealing with his people. And these are specifically redemptive acts. 
These are acts of God's deliverance. These are acts of God's salvation in which he came down to their level and rescued them from bondage, rescued them from slavery, and delivered them and brought them into the land that he had prepared for them. And so we see some familiar stories in this psalm. Stories that we've read, stories that we've heard probably since the time that we were children. And so in verse 10 and following, we see the Egypt, the Exodus story recounted for us in poetic fashion. We see Israel being brought out with great acts of power. We see Israel crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. We see Pharaoh and his armies trying to do the same only to be swallowed up by the same waters that provided salvation for Israel. God is a saving God and a judging God. And the same waters that provided salvation and protection for the people of God were the same waters that drowned God's enemies. The waters that caused Noah to float on the top of the sea are the same waters of judgment in which God destroyed the world. Israel is brought out with a powerful hand. God is a redeeming God. He is a saving God. And so he brings them out with incredibly mighty acts of power. And then he doesn't stop there. He continues to provide for them. He continues to protect them as they wander in the wilderness. And they encounter enemies along the way. And verse 17 says that he struck down great kings. He killed mighty kings. He gets even more specific than that. He calls them by name. And he recounts Numbers chapter 21 in which the Israelites were traveling toward the promised land and they encountered the Amorites. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And all Israel requested was, let us pass through your land. We won't, we won't mess with anything. Just let us pass through. Give us permission to go to the land that our God has given us. And he said, no. And, he, and the king of the Amorites assembled an army and said, you're not coming through my land. God delivered the Amorites into their hand. He delivered a great victory that day. And immediately on the hills, on the heels of that, Og, king of Bashan, raised up his power and his army and said, we're going to stop you. We're going to keep you from making progress toward your destination. And God said, no, you're not. He defeated these powerful kings. And as I thought about and reflected on Psalm 136 and the specific acts of God's redemption that are recounted here, I was struck by Joshua chapter 2. You don't need to turn there this morning, but perhaps later today. Look at Joshua chapter 2, and it is the account of Rahab and the spies in Joshua chapter 2. And the events that she tells back to the spies as to why we are afraid of you, why we are shaking in our boots because of you, are these acts right here. Rahab specifically mentions their deliverance from Egypt and these two kings, Sihon and Og. And she says to the spies of Israel, when we heard about these great things that God has done for you, we were afraid. 
God is a great and mighty God. And he delivers his people. And then he brings them into the promised land. I think what is in view here is the conquest. The conquest of Joshua and bringing them into their appointed place. He says in verse 21, And gave their land as an inheritance, an inheritance to his servant Israel. Verses 23 and 24 are striking to me because it reminds us of the fact that we are not worthy of God's redemption. These redemptive acts that the psalmist has been recounting, notice what he says in verse 23. He says, To the one who remembered us in our low estate. What he's saying is we didn't deserve these acts of God's power. We didn't deserve God's redemption. We didn't deserve God's salvation. And yet, in verse 24, he freed us from our enemies. Nevertheless, he is a great and mighty God. He is a gracious God who does for us what we do not deserve. And he brings us into the place of salvation and joy in the promised land. He freed us from our enemies. Most of the psalm is recounting God's mighty acts of power, what I would describe as miraculous acts. But then in one small verse toward the end of the psalm, the psalmist causes us to think about God's providence in our lives on a smaller scale. Not necessarily miraculous in terms of uh, overturning the normal laws of science and of nature, but just his overall, everyday, governing, providential hand in our lives. He says in verse 25, he gives food to every creature. He gives food to every creature. And as I read that verse, I can't help but think of what Jesus says in the Gospels when he says, God takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of the birds of the air, the animals of the field. He adorns lilies in the field to be more beautiful than King Solomon and all of his glory. He sends rain to the farmers, both the righteous ones and the evil ones. The sun rises in the east every day for the good and the bad. God is a providentially merciful and gracious God. And every single day of our lives... Every single day, God's providence is at work in our lives, even at times when we do not recognize it. We are, as a family, with my older two children, uh, we are memorizing catechism questions, um, questions and answers to help them learn biblical truth and doctrine. And one of the catechism questions that we have learned recently is, what, what, are the pro- what is the providence of God? And the answer to the question is the providence of God are his holy, wise, and powerful acts by which he preserves and governs all his creatures and all their actions. He watches over everything that he has made. And I think in verse 25, he is returning us to the theme of creation, that God is the creator of the world, that not only did he bring it into existence, but he is also sustaining it. And he is upholding it by the word of his power, as Colossians chapter 1 says. 
And every single day of our lives, God is at work in small acts. Things that we don't even consider, God's providence is at work. But this morning, what I want us to do, just for a few minutes, is I want us to think about the special providences of God. And what I mean by that is everything that happens in this world, every event is a part of the providence of God. But there are times in our lives when I think, if for no other way, this is the only way I can express it, that God pulls back the curtain, if you will, and lets us see his handiwork in our lives. Where you can see uh, people, events, circumstances being arranged such that your only conclusion is God's hand is in this. And as I thought about 10 years ago, actually 12 years ago, I thought about, uh, at the time, a moment that you would have never registered it in your thinking. You would have never remembered it, never recalled it. It was not a significant event. But that it was instrumental in God's providence in bringing us to meet Ken Brown and to be a part of the launch of this church 10 years ago. It's a seemingly insignificant event, but I thought about it this week as I was thinking about today. 12 years ago, we moved to Michigan. We packed up our belongings. We were relatively newly married, less than a year married, and we had an eight-week-old daughter driving in a U-Haul truck, actually budget, budget truck from Phoenix, Arizona to Detroit, Michigan, knowing, knowing one person in Michigan. He was a snowbird who would come from Michigan and was a part of our church in Phoenix, Arizona. It's the only, it's the only soul we knew in Michigan. We came and God provided for us. And one of, the, one of the ways that God provided for us was by giving me an opportunity to work in a bookstore, in a Christian bookstore, and serve as the manager of that bookstore for the whole four years that we were in seminary here. And God provided for us through that. But I remember as I was looking for a job, I went to inner city bookstore just to see if they had any openings. And I met somebody that some of you probably know very well, Daniel Habegger, was working in the bookstore at that time. And just mentioned to him, hey, we're, I'm looking for a job. We're just coming here new to seminary. And at that time, we'd already visited another church for several weeks and we're, we're just about ready to initiate the membership process to join that church. And Daniel says, hey, you should check out the church that we go to. And he invited us to come to Huron Baptist Church where Ken was serving as the, the pastor, associate pastor at that time. And we visited, and he invited us to their home and uh, embraced our family and shared the love of Christ with our family. And we joined Huron Baptist Church. And we're greatly blessed in that church, learning the Word of God, serving under men that I still have not met the equal. You have a great pastor. You have a pastor who loves the word of God. You have a pastor who loves you. And you are, you are blessed 
to have Pastor Ken as your pastor. And I was blessed to have him as my pastor for four years. God's providence was at work in that. I remember maybe about a year and a half later, we were at a wedding rehearsal dinner. And I was sitting next to Steve Thomas, Pastor Steve Thomas, and I asked him a question that just out of the blue, I was curious. I wanted to ask him a question about church planting for, for my future, just as a, as, a, as a seminary student in training, thinking about maybe what God would have in store for us in the future. I asked him a question about church planting, and he said, he turned to me and he said, funny, you should mention that. And at that rehearsal dinner for that wedding, he gave me just the, a quick summary view of what their plans were to launch Community Baptist Church. And that he would like my family to be a part of that. And God used that moment to direct our path. God used that moment in that inner city bookstore to direct our path. And those are just two things that have happened in our lives that made us a part of this church and and brought us to the point where we know and love many of you. And we can count you as our friends and our brothers and sisters in Christ. As you think on the things that God has done in your life, you have individual stories like that as well. And perhaps some of you may share some of those tonight at the dinner. God has worked in your life. Perhaps for some of you, God has used someone in this room to, as an instrument of his grace to bring you to Christ and to introduce to you the saving message of the gospel. Maybe God used an event, just a, a divine appointment like that in your life to introduce you to Christ or to bring you to this church. Maybe to move you from the sideline into the game. And as I mentioned toward the beginning of the message, I wanted us to think not only of the good providences, but also of the tough ones, also of the hard ones. What about the time when you find out that you're laid off from your job? Or when you find out that you or someone that you care about has cancer? Or someone who is close to you, someone that you love, passes away? Or you find out that your spouse or, or someone, who, someone that you love very much has betrayed you and has hurt your trust. How has God worked in those moments? How, how has the church of Jesus Christ been used in your life to sustain you and be an anchor for you through those moments of time as well as the sweet providences of God? God gives food to every creature. And as we think about the sweet providences, the bitter providences of God, the, the hard times of God, I, I can't help but think about Romans eight thirty-eight and 39 that says that there is nothing, neither height nor depth, nor what is above, nor what is below, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor anything, in all of creation can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. And just a few verses before that, he says this, God works all things for good for those who love God, 
to those who are called according to his purpose. And that purpose is to renew us, to fashion us, to shape us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And I have no doubt that for many of you in this room, perhaps all of you in this room, that God has used this church over the last 10 years, one year, two year, five years, 10 years, however long you've been a part of this church, God has used it in your life to help mold you and fashion you and shape you into the image of Jesus Christ. And this morning, all I want us to do is I want us to remember, I want us to think, I want us to recall God's acts of miracles, his miraculous acts in salvation history, but also his providential acts in our lives. And as we recall those acts of God, that it would draw us to worship and to praise him. So may you be drawn to worship and praise your great and gracious God this morning. Will you bow in prayer with me? Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are the God of gods, that you are the Lord of lords, that there is none greater than you. And God, as I think about these people, some of whom I don't know, but would enjoy meeting later today. Some of whom are friends and people that have known us for 10 or 12 years. As I think about the people that you have gathered here, I thank you for them. I thank you for this church that your son died for, that your son has brought together into this place to meet as the body of Christ, as the family of God. Where every part is doing its work, where every part is supporting one another, no matter what role or function or gift that you have given to us, we all serve a part in the body of Christ. And I thank you for what this church has meant to me and to my family. I thank you for what this church is doing for the families and individuals that are gathered here this morning. And I thank you for what this church has done, is doing, and will do for the sake of the gospel in this community. And God, my prayer this morning is that as you have blessed the last 10 years of this church, that you would bless the next 10 and the next 20 and 30 years of this church until you see fit to call us home. God, we worship you today and we praise you. May we think and meditate on your mighty and providential acts in our lives. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.